Chapter 1. The Apocalypse and Take It From There. I must have to be insane or suicidal. Maybe both, because the two are certainly not mutually exclusive. Pete sits across from me, a lazy smile on his lips. My mouth remains hanging open as I look back to the paper and then back at him again. We can still make a few changes. He informs me reassuringly, and it is clear that he would be happy to squeeze a few more dates in somewhere there. He would be pleased. The money-hungry bastard. He is without a doubt the most capitalistic hippie I know. I pass the paper to Joe, who pushes frizzy brown locks from his handsome face and peers at the list of tour dates. His blue eyes light up, and knowing him, it's from the prospect of all the girls in the partying he will get to do. Brent leans over Joe's shoulder, making approving sounds. I knew Joe would be pleased, but Brent? Goddamn backstabber. Spencer takes the news like a man, playing the mediator like he always does. I shake my head, laugh in disbelief, and my bandmates take no notice of me. Come on, I cry out, to get the attention I deserve, and the words echo back from the walls of Pete's office. The noises from the outside offices of the Capitol momentarily go even muter, and in my mind's eye, I see their interns in A&R sneaking to eavesdrop outside Pete's door. Is there a problem? Pete asks calmly, his voice like peaceful waves coming from the sea. Gently making contact with the shore, his brown eyes staring at me patiently. Black hair flops over to cover his left eye, and that's right. Hide, you bastard. Yes, I grab the sheet again and throw it at Pete. My hands are bound as far as firing the fucker is concerned, but I can complain as loud as I can and let him know that this front man is not happy. What the fuck is this? I had agreed to a summer tour, but this? Fuck. Five shows in New York? Why the hell do we need five shows in goddamn New York? They love you there. They love you everywhere. Or have you slept through the past few months? You guys are the shit right now. You're groovy. Also, you should really check your contract. You've already agreed to do this. You can't weasel out of this, Ryan. Pete has placed a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. My hands are bound. Spencer nudges my shoulder. Not like you had any other plans, right? He asks, but his voice conveys almost as much enthusiasm as I feel. I did have other plans, I claim. Get drunk, get laid, get high, write songs, record them. Refuse every interview that gets thrown at me. Spencer is a good spokesperson. He can handle the press. Call up Dad, remind us both of the constantly forgotten existence of a family, and see if I can drive up to Bismarck to spend a few weeks in the cabin, just me and the pine trees. But no one cares about what I want. They want 55 sold-out shows, roughly and clumsily divided into two legs, east and west, the venues bigger than anything we have headlined before. Brett and Joe begin to talk about the stage performance, Spencer suggesting that we do a light show. That is exactly what we need, to copy bands before us, to do tricks that in no way could vary uniqueness. Pete says that the tour dates are still subject to change. Spencer insists on a gig in Cincinnati, and Pete promises to make calls to promoters in the area. I imagine tens of thousands of faces of eyes that will land on my on in the near future. I feel sick. And now that we're all here, Pete says, I suggest a band meeting. Funny thing, that you're not in the band, I point out. We should clear the air before tour, start with a positive feeling. So, any thoughts or concerns, now is the time to share. Pete folds his arms and leans back in the chair. Thoughts or concerns? Well, let's see. I don't even want to go on tour. We haven't done anything except fight since we went to the studio to record our chart wonder. If this album is filled with swirls of dark energy, it's because we were fucking pissed off. 
Most bands start with a group of friends who just want to play their music, but then business gets in the way. Fame distorts reality. You no longer want to make music for you, but for the fans. What will they respond to? What do they want? Will, what will keep you on top? And everyone's got a different idea of it. We're stuck together, the four of us plus Pete. And the bonds that keep us together are getting thinner and thinner. Pre-tour thoughts of concerns? Let's start with the apocalypse and take it from there. I think I should be a bit closer to Ryan on stage. And up front, where he is. Not in the back left, Joe states firmly. My fans want to see me. Naturally, Pete nods. More spotlight at me, and I want a mic. You don't sing, I smile. But I want to e engage with my audience, Joe smiles back. Brent, Pete now asks. Cheese crackers in the dressing rooms, courtesy beer puddles, only four-star hotels on hotel nights. There always has to be jam donuts and condoms on the bus. I want one roadie to be responsible for my bass and keyboards. No fucking about with that. Just one guy so I know who to yell at. Um, let me think. You know what? I'll make a list. Brent grins. A hint of self-adoration on his roughly carved face. Like God just couldn't be bothered to go the extra mile that day. When Brent is in a bad mood, his eyebrows furrow over his dark brown eyes, lips looping downwards as I am faintly reminded of a chimpanzee. Spencer? I'm good. Come on now. No, really, we've decided on the drum kit, so I don't need anything. Pete turns to me. Ryan, what do you want? I look through the window and watch the spring wind push and shove a tree outside, and I wonder if there could be a wind strong enough to whisk it up into the air, break it all of its roots that have tangled up in the ground for far too long, and if there is such a wind, then it has to tell me its secret. I don't want to share my hotel room, I mutter. Done, Pete grins, and it's fixed, sorted out, we're cured. Joe keeps giving me dirty glances, Brent shifts relentlessly. Spencer tries to keep smiling, and I wish I had never gotten up that morning. Spencer attempts talking me into it over a few years. We've already sold out two of the five New York shows, so it isn't like I even have a damn say on it. It'll be fun, man, Spencer says half-heartedly, not meaning it. My head jerks upwards as I realize the radio is playing our song. The bald bartender of the smoky bar is humming along to it and didn't recognize me when I went over first to get our second beers. Good, it's a rock station and it's nearly midnight, which must justify them playing our track. They better not playing it during the day when White Picket Fence America is picking up their children from school. Right, are you even listening? The bartender is miming the lyrics, mouth opening and closing to accommodate my voice in my lyrics. He doesn't know what the song is about, how I felt while writing it, what the message is. But there he is, pouring another beer and abusing my words, stealing them, robbing them, dressing them up in satin, dressing them up in velvet when I aimed for satin. <laughs> Never mind, Spencer sighs and stares at the beer left in his glass, which is not much. Spencer is overwhelmingly gifted in that department. Spencer is used to our airplay, but I feel surreal whenever I hear my own voice on the radio. Spencer downs his beer, and his blue eyes staring to blue eyes starting to stand still slightly. He scratches his beard, and I watch 
the strong muscles of his arm move beneath the skin. He's got a friendly face, the kind that makes you want to tell him all your secrets. It's taken me years to try and resist the urge. The radio commenter says, And that was the followers with their single, Alienation, from their brand new and critically acclaimed album, Boneless. I don't know about you, but the record is definitely already in my collection. I do not the rest. Look, remember when we supported Floyd back in 71? Spencer starts again, and I nod. Fucking hell, I remember. 9,000 people and the four of us on stage. No one knew of us. No one cared. Venues big like that. It's like having sex with a stranger. Something I do regularly then, I suggest, and Spencer waves his hand to tell me to shut up. My point is that, yeah, we're headlining this time, but they already like us. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. And the venues are so big that there's absolutely no intimacy. So, whatever, you don't have to impress these strangers. We get on stage, we play, we bow, we leave. A one-night stand, he explains. It makes sense in its own way. I can bear my soul for the fans to see. They won't look closely enough to notice. Maybe, I grant him, eventually putting down my empty bottle. I gotta get going. Jack said she might drop by. He shakes his head. I don't know how you put up with her. Why shouldn't I? I ask and put my jacket on. She's faithful most of the time. More than you can ask a woman these days. Spencer scoffs. But he's young. His head is still dazed from heartbreak. But when it clears up, you will realize that we're not in the 50s anymore. 60s happened. You can't take it back. I lost my virginity at Woodstock. You can't take that back either. Not that I would, because Fauna was a beautiful woman. She didn't want anything of me except that one night. That's how women are. They want to experience something beautiful with you, and they're not bothered if you disappear afterwards. It's 1974, for Christ's sakes. The world has changed, and that change is irreversible. There's a sexual revolution going on with our musical one. Is Jack coming on tour, Spencer asks. Nah, I don't want her fucking all my friends. Spencer asked me to stay back for another drink, but I declined. I know this is a pot calling the kettle black, but you shouldn't drink as much, seriously. It's been months and months, man. She was just a girl, and she certainly did not deserve you, I tell him firmly. And he nods wearily. He knows, of course, she was a girl. He thought it was love, and now it's over. He made the right choice by choosing the band, even if we are the Knights of Destruction, the Ambassadors of Lost, coming together but mostly just falling apart. Time a dozen, Spencer concludes, and I feel us coming together just a little bit. I find Jack outside my building, smoking a cigarette, and I stop to share with her. She tells me about her bitch of a sister and a hickey is peeking through the blonde locks of her hair. I don't really care who left it there, right above her left collarbone. I know she'd want me to be jealous, but I've never had it in me. Not for her, not for anyone. It's not like she loves me. 55 shows, I tell her. We kick off in a month. Her eyes light up and I know that look. It means she's up to no good, but she will get away with it. She's a pretty girl with a doll-like face and big innocent eyes. She's tiny and astoundingly beautiful naked, and plenty of men know that. A few girls too, if there's any truth in her stories, which I doubt there is. Jack uses her looks to get under people's skin, 
because she is scared shitless no one will like her for herself. She has confidence for the two of us, which is probably why I've stuck around. Or maybe she's stuck around. She keeps me guessing about that. Come on. Let's go up, I say. We don't make it to my bed. We are half-dressed in the living room with her panties down to her ankles and my fly open. When she finds out, I have no intention of taking her on tour with me. She swears and pushes me off, steps out of the pink underwear and heads for the door. If she never comes back, I could keep the panties as a memory. It's a small bus, I explain. There's no room for you, baby. You can fly up and meet us in Detroit if you want. And what the fuck would I want in Detroit? She barks back. The illusion of her doll face vanishes fast when she hates my guts. My guts. Her eyebrows get drawn together, forming a thin line there is no crossing. Her hands are in fists, and she raises them up dramatically and brings them back down, making it sound like, instead of the skinny woman she is, she's a wounded bull staring in the mass matador. I don't know, I shrug. Fuck you, Ryan Ross. Fuck you. She points a finger at me to make sure I know I am the Ryan Ross of her nightmares before leaving with a bang. I mutter a curse and find a whiskey bottle, getting out my black electric playing white light, white heat to calm myself. I force myself not to think of the 55 shows. 55 shows. 50 goddamn five shows. I will hang myself in the dressing room and fitly. That'll show Pete. Old lady next door starts banging on the wall to shut me up. Count that as one person who will be delighted to hear of my upcoming absence. The studio lights are making me sweat. I have makeup on, but it's not enough to put me behind a defensive wall. The audience is seated, not a mass of cheering, beer-chugging rock fans. They are members of charity organizations, housewives, board husbands with even the top buttons done, and they stare at me over their glasses and wonder what my parents did wrong. The woman from makeup is trying to convince Joe to tie his curly long hair into a ponytail, but he refuses. While Spencer swirls drumsticks and adjusts the bandana around his head, it's a new touch to his stage look. Brent doesn't really have a distinctive style of his own. He lets his dark brown hair hang over his head like a wet towel. He tips, sweeping past his shoulders. He doesn't even give a shit. Joe goes for the same impression by obsessing over every belt and skin-type costume that will show more of his chest through a V-cut that goes all the way down to his belly button. I know we're behind on the times with our mix-and-match approach, riding the wave that could have been the last one for Prague. I went to see David's show last summer when he was promoting Ziggy, when he was Ziggy, and the band were the Spiders. It was an amazing show, I admit that, but it would be too much fuss for us to come up with characters and stories not that we're tame fuck tame and forget the boy choir haircuts and matching suits this is not the fucking 60s we're just us i wanted to have that level of immediacy with the music and no bullshit theatrics involved but the ship of musical sincerity is sailed a big show alienates the audience distorts the music big venues are to blame money is to blame I don't want to become another Ziggy. And when you hit the charts, you have three options. You either suck it up, gloat in it, or you fall apart. I'm trying my best not to go for the third option. Are you ready to play? The director's assistant now asks me. I nod, making sure the band, my bandmates are ready too. Spencer clears his throat behind the drum kit. Joe tests his microphone one last time. Our first TV performance.
We wait for lighting and fine-tuning, and I watch the director snapping at the sound engineer. Behind the cameras, Pete and Jack are watching from behind the bleachers. Jack waves and blows me a kiss, a wild smile on her face, exactly the same as it was the night I met her. She's taller than Pete in her green platform shoes, and I'm wearing one of her hat designs to go with a tweed vest, t-shirt, and jeans. The hat has got red flowers sticking to the side. I didn't choose it, but I genuinely like it. It's a nice change when I don't have to lie to her. Thought she was mad at you, Spencer mumbles when I go to have a word with him. She was, I shrug. Her threats and fights, her threats and our fights mean nothing. When do we have crew practice? Brent, when's the crew practice? Spencer calls out. Tomorrow, the bassist says. Already? I need a pack for the tour. You better be there. Spencer mumbles and shoots me a look. I scoff loudly and silently curse him. I was only maybe thinking of having my grandmother die a 36th time. The TV people are finally ready, and the overenthusiastic host introduces us as they begin recording. We play our song. It's the shortest off the new album, only 5 minutes and 20 seconds. I forget the cameras and focus on the music, the moment where the drums kick in between the third and the fourth part. The second before we have to change to the signature 1113. Brent switches between bass and piano halfway through and I sing. My voice is raw and untrained, just like the music strives to be, though every second has been calculated and obsessed over. I know I've made a decent song if I've driven myself insane and lost sleep over it. The director keeps motioning for me to look up into the cameras. I ignore him and sing to his shoes. The followers, everyone, the host says, as the audience applause. Joe and I are directed to the chairs where we sit down for the interview. Joe has insisted that he should be interviewed more. Good. The fewer interviews I do, the happier I'll be. But still, the host mostly addresses me because they know I am the songwriter, the frontman, lyricist, vocalist. I am the product which they buy. I give replies to the, his awkward question. This is your third album. What is it about the new record that gives the followers the recognition the first two didn't receive? I scratch my cheek. Cameras roll. Smile, Ryan. Be amiable, my Ryan. Our first two albums got very good reaction in certain circles. It's not my fault they never reached your ears, I say, and play it off with a smile. The audience laughs. My skin begins to itch. I feel so thirsty. The host has horribly yellow teeth. You all are very talented players, the host says, but frowns. I only have one question. Why does it have to be so loud? Behind the cameras, Jack covers her mouth with a hand to muffle her laughter. I don't have anything to say. The crew practice is like high school reunion, except no one feels ashamed when they head straight for the alcohol to suffer less from the awkward catching up. Annie Hurley and William Beckett listen in and and ask questions as we go through the set. On the nights we play Sore Skill, Joe will need his blue fender tuned half a step down. If Miranda's dream makes it on the set list, then Brent will need his five-string bass. We fill the practice space with all the gear that needs to be taken on tour, as Pete makes note of an extra strings, bridge pins, and drumsticks. Andy has a photographic memory and as I recall from our previous tour, and he looks at my effect pedals only once before remembering the correct order. We've toured with both guys before. Where's Zach and Simon, Joe asks as we set up to play. 
The real stages will be three, four, maybe even five times bigger than the room we're in. I look around for the two missing roadies, and William shakes his head. William's around my age. He has taken hair tips from Joe, but instead of Joe's frizzy chocolate brown curls, William's are lighter brown. He is as tall as me and just as skinny. But whereas I tried to hide my bony limbs, William manages to pull on the tightest jeans imaginable. He's too effeminate and too emotional for my liking. Even his facial features resemble the girls, but he's a good roadie, and even I have to admit it, though I'm not too crazy about the guy. I'm sure Zach and Simon will be here shortly. Pete hurries to say, fearing mutiny. Spencer throws a vest over his red t-shirt and sits behind his new drum kit, a boyish glee in his eyes. I relax at the sight of it. I need him on this tour. I will not survive the summer if Spencer's not there. And while I acknowledge that, I resent myself for being a codependent leech. I didn't used to be like this. There are a lot of things I once were that I no longer am. Andy fuses around the cables with a roll of duct tape between his teeth, carrying it like a dog with a bone. He tapes my mic cable to the floor, crawling on all fours. You want it like this or this, he asks, looking up at me, pushing his slipping glasses up the bridge of his nose. He's got thick reddish-brown hair down to his shoulders, slightly bushy eyebrows that hang over his attentive gray eyes. Andy's the philosopher of the group. He and Spencer, Spencer have sat down and talked about death, love, the war, and whatever else until morning. I've sometimes sat with them and listened. Andy swears by acid and how it broadens your mind. Broadens his a little too much at times, but it's good to have at least one self-proclaimed intellectual on the bus. Working out how to play the new songs live is hard. We end up fighting and bickering for 20 minutes, and when Joe magically starts singing the chorus to Her Shadow, I sing the chorus, Brent does some backups. Joe doesn't sing in any song. He never has. You said you wanted the mic to talk between songs, and, well, why can't I I sing too? Because you can't hold a fucking note. Oh, and you can? Yes, actually. Joe turns the peep. What do you think about this? Don't talk to him. Where was he when the four of us sat down and started this band? Huh? Was he? Don't fucking ask Pete. I think Pete starts, shut up. I point a daring finger at him. Don't threaten the devil's advocate, Brent mutters under his breath, but loud enough for me to hear. He isn't being diplomatic. God, no. Brent is just not taking my side. If I want to sing, it doesn't matter what you want. You don't start rapping my music. Oh, oh, there we have it. His music. Did you hear that, Andy? William? Pete? Did you hear that? Joe asks, looking around for his support. The boyish glee is gone from Spencer's face. A gray, worn-out look on his features as he lifelessly stares at his drum kit. My blood boils, and I squeeze the neck of my guitar with both hands, wanting to fling the instrument instrument over my shoulder and smack it against Joe's head. Spencer stands up when he speaks, his voice emotionless. I'm sure that what Ryan meant was, I know what he meant, Joe storms. The door slams open and Zach Hall walks in. He's a huge guy, roughly the size of a bulky 18th century oak cabinet. He makes me look like a twig if he stands next to me. I'm a tall guy, but Zach is taller and probably weighs five times what I do. He's got the strength of a bull that keeps his hair short. 
and he keeps his hair short so that no one can grab it when he gets into a fight. That's what he says anyways. But beneath the scary physical first impression, he's a good guy. Quirky. Definitely mean sometimes, but he's not evil in the slightest. He keeps people in their places, and maybe it's the sudden appearance of his that makes me and Bo- Joe both shut up. Pete exhales. Zach, you're here. Excellent. Where's Simon? At home. He woke up this morning still drunk from last night, fell down the stairs, broke his left leg in two places. I drove him to the hospital, which is why I'm late. And Oh, by the way, Simon will not be coming on tour with us. Zach stops and takes a so look at all of us. Why the long faces? That's it. The tour is over. I carefully put my guitar where, in her stand as Brent realizes the damage that has been done to him. Who will be responsible for my instruments then? Brent asks angrily and as defiantly as I was telling the guys not to put their faith in Pete, I am now grateful that her manager is there to take the fall. I have double standards just like the rest. The room is filled with angered, frustrated exclamations as I round Zach and walk out the room, up the basement stairs, along the corridor, and out the building. Los Angeles is cloudy. I light a cigarette with shaking hands. That's it. No tour. We can't do it. A homeless man is leaning against the brick wall, and I throw him two quarters. He tells me to fuck off. Don't you know who I am? I ask, half serious, half sardonic. No, he barks angrily, scratching his face with dirty fingers and mumbling to himself incoherently. Me neither, I admit, and walk away from him. Damn, Simon, my fault for getting him into whiskey on our last tour. Only three things can ruin a man. Fame, women, and 12-year-old whiskey. Damn, Joe, I don't need a guitarist who thinks he's a vocalist. Joe is the most handsome of the four of us by general consensus, thanks to his charisma. Tone body and manly face with a pair of sparkly blue eyes. He doesn't need to sing to get more chicks, so why is he doing this? To torture me? That's it. To goddamn torture me. The cigarette shakes between my fingers as the tension of the practice room makes me my entire body tremble. Sweat pours down my neck and I swallow hard. Close my eyes and when the world goes out of focus, I want music. I want this band. But lace within that are a million things I could live without. Ryan, open my eyes. Brent, and ta- Brent takes the cigarette from me without asking, and he is nearly serene as he looks across the street as he, as like he doesn't have a care in the world. So, Will- so listen, William said that he has this friend, some guy he knows, who can take Simon's place. William swears by him. But will he come on such short notice to tour with America's most rocking band? Brent asks clearly enjoying the superlative if he doesn't he's a fucking idiot he will a new guy might not fit in though i will most likely get voted as the most antisocial again so it's not likely to affect me maybe it won't matter much but i worry when it comes to this tour i will worry about every damn thing i was thinking we could tell the sound engineers to turn down joe's vocals during songs either that or let him embarrass himself once and then he'll stop the narcissistic fucker can't sing, and you're right about that, Brent says thoughtfully. He thinks Joe is an asshole. Brent, by default, thinks everyone is an asshole, and he thinks it of me too. Joe can't mess up the music. He just, I have to protect it, the music. So that's what this about, the music. He sounds amused. 
If it's not about the music, then what is it about? I ask angrily. Brent finishes the cigarette and pats my back. He pitches me on top of everything else. This situation isn't ideal for any of us. The new guy will have to learn on the job, and who knows how qualified he could be to look after my instruments. But we'll do. He shrugs. Come on, we've got to figure out the rest of the songs. Brent pushes slightly greasy hair from his forehead and walks back inside. And I'm expected to follow like us followers do. Christ. I head back for the door and two girls walking down the street recognize me as they walk past. My sudden emergence doesn't give them time to do anything except stare at me. Let it kick in, their mouths dropping open as they hush. Ryan and the followers. I look over my shoulder and Joe would flash a charming smile. Brent would grin, Spencer would wave, but I turn my gaze away and feel their eyes on my hunched back. Their widening irises feel heavy in my heart. The beggar is still by the door, looking confused as the girls are staring our way. He must be famous. I remark and walk back into the mess we have made.